You guys, wow, thank you. Crazy, good crazy, this church is. I uh, love it. If I haven't met you, I'm Stephen. I'm the worship pastor, and I am so proud of this team. They just did amazing. Didn't they do a wonderful job just connecting us to God? Woo! I normally get to be a part of the first part, and so here I am in the second part. And so I'm excited to preach this morning. Uh, Robert asked me to speak from a bit of my story. And, you know, I love the series that we're in. I love this idea of finding your fit. You know, I, I am the worship pastor, so I'm working with creatives all the time. And creatives are often the ones who don't feel like they fit very often in life. And in fact, they feel like they are misfits. Uh, the weirdos, the different ones. Um, and honestly, sometimes we really are just weird. But... God is inside of us. He has a special and a unique thing on us. And um, I really believe that it goes beyond creatives. I believe all of us have this war inside as we grow up and trying to move from, you know, maybe it's different communities or different, different seasons. And, and finding our fit is something that just takes a lot of work. And last week, Kendall nailed it. He talked about finding God's power and finding who we are, kind of the who of finding our fit. And this week, I want to take it a step forward and talk about the where of finding your fit. And I believe that that's what God's doing in this series. He is pouring out revelation on us right now as we're in this room through his word and through the stories of faith that he wants to help you right now take a step forward in finding your fit. And so I just want to start by talking about finding your fit by finding God's community. Finding your fit by finding God's community. So let me just take you into a story really quickly. So I'm in high school, about to graduate, and an older gentleman in our church is moving to be a missionary overseas. And instead of selling his car, he feels like God puts it on his heart because he sees kind of my financial situation and my life. And he just gives me his car. And I am like blown away. And it was like really cool to me. It was this like black Ford Probe GT. And it was like 1998 model, which is a little old at that time, but it was cool. Oh, a 92. So it was 10 years old, literally, when I got it. Super cool car. And I'm just like rolling through life. And I graduate high school and I go into college. And I am the big man on campus in my mind because I've got this cool car and I set up, I get my job set up and I tell my mom and dad I'm going to come home this many times per month. And I just kind of set up my entire life um, based off of being able to have a car. And um, about a year later, though, I have to call him and let him know that I totaled his car, which was a bummer of moments there. Um, total miracle that I even lived through it, but I'd been sidewinded by someone and it totaled the vehicle, but there wasn't enough money to get a new car. And I remember going home that night just being like, I literally am going to have to change my whole life around. Like I, I can't, I can't get another car. So everything's different. Job change. Uh, just, I didn't know what to do. Well, the next day I get a phone call from the church and they're like, Hey, I need you to come to the offices and da da da. I don't really know what's going on, but I'm signing these things, and there's it's, I just, all these different processes. And in the end, I walk out with an envelope, and inside of it is thousands of dollars of cash donated anonymously from someone else in the church who'd heard of my situation, meeting the biggest need of my life in that time. And it just totally rocked me. I, I, I raced off, bought a car, was able to just literally go about my life, and it would have totally changed had that not happened. And in that moment, I caught a vision 
of what the local church can be for a person. At that moment, I learned about finding my fit in a unique way. And I learned from this story that finding my fit isn't so much about finding my little niche, but it's about finding the local church, finding God's community, and through that, seeing my life thrive through that being catapulted into the purposes God had for my life in that season. I couldn't have done it on my own. So I want to start with a statement this morning and just say out loud from the get-go, you and I need the local church to find our fit. Amen? You and I need the local church to find our fit. And I believe this morning God's going to pull revelation out of his word. He's going to pull on our hearts and lead us forward into what that looks like for each of us. So I want to start. I want to pray. And I want to look at the life of Jesus because everything comes back to him, right? So here we go. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the family that you've given us. We're so thankful for your church. We're thankful for this moment. At the end of our week, you know what's going on and you know what's coming. So we choose in this moment to draw near to you. Alongside our brothers and sisters, we choose to listen to your voice. I pray right now you'd open our ears to hear you clear ways in Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. Well, we know community matters to Jesus, and everything comes back to Jesus for New Testament believers, because we can just look at so many things in his life that show his value for community. Well, first of all, in his very essence, who he is, he is one of the Godhead. He is one of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a majestic and mysterious, beautiful reality that in himself is this sense of community. But even something we can, but something we can relate to a bit more is how he chose to come to earth. Okay, so Jesus is Lord of the world. He could do whatever he wanted with how he decided to show up. He could have been this long white hair flowing God that just came with dolphins and fairies behind him and went from place to place in the world showing his goodness and saying, please come. But he didn't, did he? You're like, no, he didn't, Stephen. No, so what he did, <laughs> obvious moment of the day. No, he chose to come as a baby to be put into a family with siblings, with parents, just like you and me. And he grew up and he moves into his ministry. And he doesn't just set up some stage on some hill or at five 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 university and say, come, all that desire. No, he walked life and surrounded himself with 12 men the disciples, and he walked through the nitty-gritty of their life, the imperfect times, the awkwardnesses, the mess. He didn't have a place to lay his head. Inside that 12, he grew even closer to a, to a group of three. He had women, he had disciples following him as he showed them what life with God really was made to look like. That alone would sell us all on, oh, we get it. It's with community. But then he goes to the cross. He dies. He raises again. He leaves the Holy Spirit with us, and he says that, one of the main things he was doing was to establish his church. Jesus goes to heaven, leaves the church, and he said that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. This isn't just a feel-good place, though it totally is. It's a place with victorious purpose, with salvation and freedom for all people. It's a place where you can feel good. You can experience worship. You can have these amazing moments. But it's where you're called to victory and a life of freedom that brings purpose everywhere that you go. It's a place where your physical needs and your spiritual needs, your mental and emotional needs can be met. 
that is a full picture of what his church is. In Ephesians 3, verse 10, it says, his intent, speaking of God, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Whoa. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, the manifold wisdom of God displayed not just to us on earth. We, you know, Jesus came and walked among us, but also to the heavenly realms. Through his church, the church is a place, we see, of eternal purpose. It's a place of fulfillment for us. And God is calling us into his family. He's calling us into his household. We were all born to have that moment. If it hasn't happened for you yet, let it be today to have that moment where we choose to jump in head over heels into God's family. Amen? But this isn't just a New Testament concept. I actually want to take us into a beautiful story in the Word of God in the first book of the Bible. And I'll take you into some of my story of what it can look like for us to jump into his church and to give it all away for that one thing, his church. I, I remember as I studied, as I thought about how Jesus died for us and set up this church, I just had a fresh thing well up even in my heart. Oh, Lord, I want to give my life afresh for your church because you did. So I want to welcome us into that. Let's look at Genesis 28, though. Let's turn to the life of Jacob. It's a pretty vulnerable spot in his journey. He just had to leave his family. He's racing and running away, fleeing for his life. His mom said, hey, go find my brother in this different tribe, in this different place. And he's in this moment of literally stepping out to join the community God had for him in this next season of life. And we'll pick up here in verse 10. So Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay on to sleep. Super comfy. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on the stairway. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Imagine that moment. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread out to the west and the east, to the north, the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is a good day for Jacob. <laughs> he goes even further, I'm with you, and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Way to go, bro. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I just want to start and say, first point, that God has a dream for you. God has a dream that he wants to give you as you step out into the community of God that he's called you to. It may or may not be a literal dream in the night, which praise God that he does speak through the supernatural dreams. I know that's been a part of my story. But at its very least, it will be 
that figurative dream, that sense of destiny and calling that the Lord was just pouring on Jacob lavishly in that dream in the night. God has a dream that he wants to give each and every one of us if we'll step out and seek to join his community. Amen. So Jacob does. He steps out next day. He keeps on his journey. And in chapter 29, he comes up on this well in Laban's country, his uncle that he's coming to find. <clears throat> but he doesn't know he's in Laban's country. He walks up on this big, this big well, and there's all these like multiple sheep and multiple flocks of sheep and shepherds. And there's this huge rock that like all the shepherds have to come together to push to let out all the water. And he's just hoping he's in the, am I there yet? You know, he's, he walks, he's like, hey, do you guys know Laban? And they're like, yeah, actually his daughter's walking up right now with her sheep. He's like, oh, okay, I'm here. I've, I made it, you know. <clears throat> so we pick up there, 29, verse 9. While he's talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well. Okay, this stone that usually like all these men do, Jacob on his own pushes this thing. He's a beast. And he watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, okay, and began to weep aloud. So not exactly the best dating tip there. Not only kiss her the first time you see her, but then just cry about it when you're with her. <clears throat> but he had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and son of Rebecca, which I guess gave him kissing rights. So she ran and told her father and as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. Not sure if he's mad or happy at that moment. He embraced him and kissed him. All kinds of kissing happening. And brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. And then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. What we see in Jacob's story is that the dream of God was then followed by a passion in Jacob. The dream of God was then followed by a passion in Jacob. Now, for Jacob, this is the passion of first love, right? And maybe that's what brought you here today. Maybe you're here because you're here for a girl. But God has more for you, right? The women are like, hallelujah. But Jacob jumps into this community, okay? The passion helped him. It drew him in. So he's rolling stones away single-handedly that takes men, to, multiple men to do. He kisses her, cries out loud, spills his guts, and what happens? He's welcomed into the family. A bit later, just right after that, he, he professes his love, tells Laban, I, I, I love your daughter. <clears throat> and he's like, I, I would work seven years and my only wage be to have her hand in marriage. It consumed him enough to roll stones and work for years. And he threw himself wholeheartedly into this community. Something like this drew you into church your first time. Maybe it was some girl. Let's just be real. Or maybe it was just some friend brought you and you didn't even know what it was. You know, you're there and you're, and, and, but then something in the environment, something that you experienced drew you in? Was it the joy in people's faces? Was it the joy that you experienced? You're kind of like, is this even real? 
I've not seen this. Or was it just the kindness? So many people around you actually smiling and liking that you exist. And it's like, what do I do with all this? You know, that's, that's my story. I was like seven. We finally choose this church, Highland Baptist Church. And just feeling surrounded by all these people. It was every week, common people, consistent people, and just overwhelming kindness and love. The worship was outstanding at that church. Gary Rhodes led the worship, and oh my goodness, I always say it's like a hot tub of worship. You just never knew what was going to happen next. It was so amazing, so much full of praise and joy, and then so powerful at the end. You're just like, my life is on fire because of this moment. But even sometimes it's just the practical stuff, okay? So the sense of fitting chronologically— I came here, and these people had to show me how this all goes down. And then, like, I bring my friend, or maybe I see a new person, and it's little stuff. Like, they don't know where the offering envelope is. And I'm like, oh, it's over there. Yeah, like that one. You know, not that one. It's that one. You know, or then it's like, hey, where's the, the, you know, unicorns or the, like, the elephants classroom for the kids? And I'm like, it's down this hall. And I just kind of felt like, I know what's going on around here. You know, it just kind of felt good. And then it's like the, it's the humor and the message or uh, like our pastor was really funny. I was telling jokes and goofy, but funny jokes. And I know that's part of our story here is Robert is always keeping us laughing, always keeping us on the edge of our seats when it comes to joy. But it was just like, it was sometimes the personalities of just different deacons or, or leaders. You know, one deacon's, if I'm going to his door, he's like, nope, you can't go in until this exact moment. And then I go to the other door, and the other deacon's like, just go in. You know, I'm like, yes. You know, <laughs> or singer number one is singing the song, and I kind of like it, and I'm just loving it. And the next singer the next week sings it, and I'm like, I mean, <laughs> you're growing. It's good. You know, I like... <clears throat> Not judgment, completely, but just kind of like, I know what I think around here, you know, and just that feeling of like, I fit here, you know, and it, it wasn't fake. It wasn't perfect. In fact, it was perfectly imperfect. It was authentic, consistent community, and I was beginning to find my fit, and I was beginning to come alive. For me, it wasn't the passion of first love that drew me in. I was like seven, Okay, for me, what drew me in was the passion for a father's love. And I want to take you into some of that story. If we can, let's throw up the Gully fam. Okay, so here we go. This is the greater Gully family, and I'm going to talk you through it, okay? The man in the center in the white shirt, this is Ed Gully. This is my father. Man of God, awesome. He is a joy bomb. He's a manager. He's a communicator. He went to college on a writing scholarship. Amazing man. Next to him, my mom, Laurie Gully. She is just as hard of a worker as she is a warm and inviting presence. You will always feel like a million bucks with Laurie Gully. And she owned her own catering and food service when I was little. And so we all got our first jobs through that. Thanks, Mom. Up top here with his hand on my shoulder is Carl. This is my oldest brother. Carl is a coach. He is a phenomenal coach. He's a phenomenal leader. He's a phenomenal preacher. He's actually the lead pastor of Antioch Waco, our home base church now, as Jimmy's moved to be the senior pastor over the greater Antioch movement. Phenomenal man. And then you've got 
cool guy here with the hat down here. This is the second brother. This is James Mark. James Mark is the worship pastor at the home-based church of Antioch, Waco. He does basically what I do there, but it's the hub of all these churches. So he's training up worship leaders. I was there in October. He trained us. And then the very top left there is Jonathan. So Jonathan was the brother that I learned loads of leadership from. He planted the Antioch Church in Chicago area. And he asked me to come and be his worship pastor and really developed and trained me up to be a leader to the place where we actually trained up leaders in that church and passed the baton before I came here. Here I am. And that church is going on and doing its thing. And then later on in his journey, he's actually moved into the marketplace. So he is the chief of strategy for Magnolia. If you've heard of Chip and Joanna Gaines or Fixer Upper or the Silos. So he is in their executive team over all the Magnolia businesses, and he is an amazing man of God. So that's the family in a nutshell with kids everywhere. So we'll talk about them another day, right? So, so let's talk about it for a second. So I'm a little boy. I'm in this family, and I've got this passion for a father's love. I'm about seven or eight when I come into this church, and so I want to take you into my father's story for a second. So my dad is the first in his family to give his life to the Lord. And it's a very strong, passionate, communicative family, much like the Gullies are now. But he's the only one who knows God. So there are, there's tension. There's all that stuff that comes with being the only one who believes that there's a heaven and a hell and those sorts of wonderful things. So it's just, it was tense. But about a year or so after, um, he has a tragedy where his best friend and younger brother commits suicide. Takes his life and it's just wrecks my dad. Now, my dad had encountered the Lord and received the Holy Spirit in a special way, but just had not learned yet how to process that kind of a pain. And he hadn't really found his way in the church, so he, he didn't know the ways of healing that come when you live in a church. Within a year later, his dad dies as well of a heart attack. So now all of a sudden, all the pressure's on him. He's the leader of the family, spiritually, practically. He's, he's hosting funerals. Just You get the idea. He just doesn't know what to do with it. And so instead of going to God and church and community to find his healing, he goes to drinking. So from the age of eight, my, uh, me being eight, all the way till I'm 16 years old, my dad was a full-blown alcoholic, completely absent father. Now, all of that development time, from boyhood to manhood, I'm just searching, and I don't have that thing I need. Now, praise God, my dad was not an abusive alcoholic. He was just absent, a quiet one in the corner, which is not at all, if you can tell, what gullies are like. So I just didn't have a register. I just didn't know what to do with it. And gratefully, he still, in, he still instilled the fear of the Lord in our family. So dad's not going to church. It's Sunday morning. We just want to play basketball or something, you know. And mom's like, no, put on your pants and comb your hair and all this. And it's like, mom, dad's home. Why can't we stay? And dad'd be like, get your bottoms into church. I'm just being a moron. You guys need to go. We're like, whatever, Dad. You know, so, okay. So he kept us going the right direction, and we, sh- man, we showed up. 
we showed up at everything that there was that was at church, okay? My mom prayed her brains out for us, let I boys still find God. So if there was anything at church, we were at it. I And it, and it caught, it caught in my life. I, was, I remember when I was older, I was seventh grade, and I would be at college services just wanting more of God because I had learned early, if you show up, God shows up every time. And so I learned through the church this very important truth and promise. And I, I believe it's for many of us today. In a special way, I want to speak John, the Psalm 68, 6. Truth, and it's what I experienced, is that God sets the lonely in families. God fathers us by putting us in his church, in his home, the household of God. And that began to happen. I began to be fathered through this church. First, it came through just being there, being around the godly community, but then it moved to the moment I gave my life to the Lord. So it's a Sunday night at this Baptist church, and we're at another service in the back. And I'm on the back pew with my mom. And honestly, the, sun, the Sunday night teachings were like a little more heady. So I think he's just getting his stuff going for the next week or something. So I don't, I'm seven or eight. I don't know what he's talking about. But God's presence was real. It's the church. He's there. He's alive. And I could feel, I know God is here. It kind of even moved to the back of my mind like, okay, this is what it feels like. And at the end of the message, I hear God speak to my heart clearly as for the first time, and he says, Stephen, you know that you hurt people you love too. And he's referencing my dad, because I remember so many times just being like, I don't get how he could do this. Like, he loves us, right? Like, how could he be drunk and not around and just didn't know how to process it? And so God's referencing, that's my idea of sin. And that week, I'd had this, like, rough week at school where I probably like, got my name on the board, like, 10 times and punched my brother or something. So I get it. I'm like, right, I hurt people, too. This is good. <clears throat> and then he makes the move that changed my life forever. And he says, but, Stephen, if you'll give your life to me, I'll be your dad. And, oh, man, the love of God rushed in so hard. And I was like, I'm in. So I yanked my mom's dress, and I'm like, Mom, I want to get baptized. And I was hooked. And I went down front, and I gave my life to Jesus. And the breakthrough of breakthroughs is that in my family, when you finally got baptized, you got to have communion in church, which is just basically snacks for an 8-year-old. I get to eat the grape juice. I got a dad. I got snacks. We're good. You know, just being real how 8-year-olds think. You know, I'm like, yes. I love you, Jesus. You died for me, and I get to eat the snacks. So that was me, little eight-year-old Stevie Lee or whatever I was. So, but I step in to this church, and now I've got Jesus in my heart, and I'm moving through. And, and all the older, you know, the men, the leaders in the church are seeing all these boys. You're probably running in the halls when we shouldn't have been or something. And Jeff Yankee was one of those guys back in those days that was like a leader I looked up at. Like, Whoa. And um, I still do, bro. I still look up at you. And they began to do the work of fathering in my life. And so they did a few things, okay? So first they just saw us. And they spoke identity over us. They spoke the gold that they could see through the rough and raw of whatever we were. It's kind of like, hey, you talk a lot. Maybe you should lead sometime and just talk a little less, though. You know, or, you know, hey, you're really rambunctious, a lot of energy. You're probably a leader, you know. 
chill out, you know, um, over and over, just like, hey, you're called to be an example because <laughs> I had just not been one, you know, and they're just, but instead of just cutting me down, they're calling me up into what I'm called to be. They're fathering and the women mothering us upward into who we are called to be in both the normal conversations and then you introduce the supernatural moments where I'm in a worship time and someone comes over at the end of a service. I'm going down to the ministry because that's what we do, right? We come, we respond at church, right? So I go down front and someone's like, hey, I feel like God when I spoke this to my heart for you. And they would just speak these things of life over me and these truths, sometimes things there's no way they should know. And that, that moment of God knows me, like God's, God knew that and he spoke that to you. It just, it just magnet, it draws you in. Like, okay, okay, we're going to be okay. We're going to go to the next thing. And they would call out my gifts, speak identity, call my gifts out, and then they would nudge me to take risks in those areas. Some of us need to just be nudged by people. Our destiny is waiting. You just need someone to nudge you in and you can't like nudge yourself. You know, you need people to pull on you and push you in. So, man, I remember the first time I led worship in a life group, the guy's like, hey, can you lead tonight? Life group's happening in five minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't have my guitar. He's like, here you go. I was like, oh, I don't have any chord sheets. He's like, here's the chord sheets. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I need to practice. He's like, great, go practice. We'll call you in 10 minutes. I'm like, you know, nudge, nudge. Now, I think I just more messed up worship that night, but I started, and from then on out, I did it every week, and I finally began to hone my skills at being a worship leader. And then also, after each one of those nudges, they provided not just the environment, but the encouragement on the back end, as well as the feedback correctively that I needed, because you know I needed a lot of it. We all need a lot of that type of feedback. And the major key is that I'm getting all of this in the church, which is an environment that is infused with the Spirit of God. Like, think of Life Group. You show up, they give you something like food or awesome coffee or LaCroix or something. Then you worship and you experience God's presence. Then everything after that, I mean, depending on the group or the night could just be awkward or you never know what's going to happen in life group, change your life, or it could just be like, what? And then at the, but at the end, at the end, they like pray for you. And you feel God's power. I remember that my experience in college was that. I'd be like, I don't know if I want to talk to you, but I have to. So we're going to pray because I was like so judgmental and so cool in college. And I'm like, this guy's awkward. I don't know if I want to pray for this guy. And then he'd pray for me, the person I'm judging, and I am feeling the love of God and the power of God. And then I'm repenting. He doesn't know it. I probably should have told him. But it's just like, man, are you kidding me? This is an environment where God's grace and love is flowing. It's a safe environment to grow in. And God began to parent me through the local church. God wants to parent every one of you through his local church. Can you step into that? Can you step forward into that? Hebrews says that our father, earthly father, did the best he could. Our parents did the best they could, and we're all thankful thank a parent on Thanksgiving, okay? But it says that God disciplines us for our good. So it means God picks up where our parent left off and takes us to the next level. And he wants to do it through his church. It's his very body. It's his family. It's his home. He wants to parent you. And I know some of you, as I'm talking about it, you feel that father or mother need. I just want to say that's what this church is going to be about. We're going to father and mother in the spirit the people that come. And that's what he did with me. 
So as a little boy, I'm a worship pastor now, but as a little boy, I began to grow in my worship gifts through being in the little kids singing productions in church. I got my first solos and I got my very first epic audition fails where you walk away and you're like, okay, you didn't get that part. She did. Why was I auditioning for a girl part? I don't know. <laughs> it happened. Got to be in a Dove Award-winning Christmas production and say my very first lines in a dramatic play. It looked something like this. Hey, Mom, where's my ball? You know, like that was it. But I did it. I did it. And there's hundreds of people, and I'm up there on the stage, and it just began to shape me and begin to call me forward. Hey, maybe I was made for this. Like, maybe it'll look a little different later, but maybe I was made to be up on this stage loving this family for the glory of God, not just for me and my niche, right? God has something like that for you. And sometimes it doesn't look quite like you think. Sometimes it's like, hey, I want to do this. And then someone's like, well, we really need this at our church. I don't even know what ushing means, but usher is one name of a thing you can do in a church. And you just step out and you're with people and you get to guide and direct with kindness because they're sitting in the wrong seat or they are talking to someone too long. Like, you need to move out of the way because there's a lot of people that need to go through here. Actually, not just you. You know, all these little random awkward moments, but you step out and you begin to cultivate your gifts. So one thing that happened was when I was a little boy, as fourth grade, leaders at our church, like Jeff, taught me and my brothers how to play guitar. And we learned our first guitar chords and songs with worship songs. So at nine years old, I learned. At 13, I lead my first life group worship experience. At 14, I lead my first life group with a lot of help with people. And then I discipled my first people at 15 years old because people are just calling me up, calling me up way faster than I ever would have. When our church planted, Antioch planted, I was 16 years old. My brother was, was becoming the youth pastor, and he asked me to lead all the youth band, be the youth worship leader. And I was like, oh, yes, sir, you know, I can do this. Guess what we did? Every single week, we set up and tear down in different schools and different lobbies and different libraries. Does that sound like anything you ever heard of at All People's Church? As a 16-year-old, doing the same thing I'm doing as a 36-year-old. So God was just putting it in the DNA early, baby. Hallelujah for a set up and tear down. And Lord, bless that building you're giving us in Jesus' name. We're calling that light on a hill, that church building where we can raise up many to go and love the people in the city and to the nations of the world. And so at 16, I'm stepping into my gifts in a strong way. And that is when I got my dad back. So I want to tell you about that part. Sound cool? So at 16, church has just engulfed our family. They've loved my mom. They've drawn her in. They've fathered and parented us to, 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 to no length. And they'd reached out to my dad so much, but nothing had ever really stuck. It's a heavy burden, the addictive tendencies in our hearts at times. And that heavy burden, he just, he didn't know how to let it get dealt with and healed. But at 16, I believe this is something that's going to come very soon to many of us who need it and our own families. At 16, he had a major encounter with God. And at that moment, God said things to him that made him change his life. And he just made that simple decision, I will no longer drink, but I will go to the word of God and a conversation with God. 
And at 16, my dad gave his life back to Jesus and began a, he began a daily regimen of just feeding himself with the word of God, which is basically a bunch of TV preachers' sermons all day long, okay? And I remember him being like, well, I'm not ready for church yet, son, but I'm getting started, you know? So he's just feeding himself, feeding himself. And then my mom lets him quit his job. She takes on even more work so that he can stay at home, get healed up, and get taught in the word of God. And then he began to get plugged in to the local church. He took that step. He began to get discipled. He began to have his own purpose, which he'd been quitting on day after day after day, restored to him and been trained up in the church. <laughs> I remember eventually, you know, I don't know even how long that eventually was, but eventually my dad get asked, gets asked to lead a life group. And he stepped in and became my life group leader. I was like, you kidding me? Ed Gully is leading life group, baby. He's starting to give it away, give away the freedom that he'd learned to have. It's a big deal. That's what it's about. I'm just, I'm leading this group and I'm trying to help them take a step forward in God's love and a step forward in God's purpose. A step forward in God's love, a step forward in God's purpose. He began to give his life away in that way. And to this day, he and mom are wonderful life group leaders at Antioch, Waco, our home base. And every week on a Sunday, you're going to see them down. It's like this part of the stage. At the end of the service they're at, they're on the prayer team. And if you go to them, you will probably get healed in some way. They have been so persevering and showing up at church, learning the ways of God, always being fed, that they've learned and they've kind of been trained up in prayer and in faith and in praying for healing. And so literally they move in signs and wonders almost every week. It's like... <laughs> told me a story. I'm like, hey, how'd it go? He's like, well, he got healed, son. That's what happens. I'm like, that's right, dad. That's normal in the kingdom of God, right? He's like, I just needed someone to pray for him who believed. He can do it. I'm like, the norms change, don't they? The norms change when we get into being trained up in the things of God. I remember I'd come home and when dad was an alcoholic and just be like, you just never know. You just like walking through the threshold of the door. You're like, what's it going to be like today? And it switched to, I wonder what God told dad today. Let's talk about it. God is good. And my parents have been trained in so many things. And I remember a point where the training actually came through the sons. They were, my dad would just grab a notepad and be like, all right, lead this life group. What do you do when somebody says that? And he'd just sit down and take copious notes. Well, that's about vision, about sharing the vision again. It's not just about this. It's about, and we, we would, because we've been leading for years, we're pouring back into him. It goes up and down the generations in the kingdom of God. And God has a special purpose. As you're hearing, this process was never perfect. In fact, parenting is perfectly imperfect, right? All on the way, there's misses, miscommunications, hurts, feelings hurt. People are leaving that had been hurt and left the church. And I remember just feeling like, How's, how, how does that work that you got hurt by this person, but then you leave and it hurts all of us? Just being real. That's how I felt as a little boy. I wanted families to stay together, not break apart. And so I remember seeing people get hurt and leave, and, and it's like, ah, oh, this hurts me. And then I'd fall into sin, and people would fall into sin, and their sin would affect the people around them. There's the process of being restored. And it never looks perfect. But, you know, for people of God, in this house, we're called, we're the people that have Jesus on the inside. We're the people that are part of a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. 
I just want to say we're called in those moments of human imperfection not to run away or bow out, but to press in to those moments, to press into those conflicts, to press in to just all the funkiness that comes when we're in church. And I think that's the place where I want to close is if we'll press in and let our trial become a trainer for our character, God will use it to give us our purpose. He wants to give us our purpose. Are you ready for that? Come on, let's stand to our feet. So there's a step forward. There's a press in for each of us in the room today. Maybe for some of us, it's actually to finally choose a church. And maybe this is it. But God wants you to step into his family. For some of us, we need to move past this bigger environment and move into an environment like life group where we actually can be known and know others and have to be loved and give love when it's awkward and imperfect. Some of us need to step into giving our gifts and serve however is needed so that we're end up getting into the act of trying and trying again to love people through our gifts. And for some of us, you're in that place I was at when I was eight. You need to let Jesus come in and be the Lord of your life. And I, what I did is I came down front and I said, somebody show me, I'm ready to pray. And so that's for some of you in this room. I'd love to have our leaders come down and pray. Some of you need to be parented afresh right now and you know that there's a need and God wants to speak into you as people pray for you. And so that's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna respond to God. Let him come, come Lord Jesus. We love you.